Well, there really isn't any good news around today. Russia is cutting gas supplies to Poland and Bulgaria. The war shows no signs of ending anytime soon. A Beijing lockdown still looks like a distinct possibility. And there are fears that all that, plus ever higher inflation and interest rates, could spark a recession. Sorry if that's put you in a bad mood. At the start of the day, we're just telling you like it is. It's Wednesday, the 27th of April, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, U.S. stocks, which rallied to the close yesterday, are now heading south and quickly. A 3.7% fall in the Nasdaq. The S&P 2.4% down. The Dow losing 2.2%. This is the worst week on the New York Stock Exchange since March 2020. We know what happened then. And it continues in Europe as well. We've got a 1.2% drop in the DAX. So uh, move to bonds, pushing yields down. Seven basis points down for 10-year treasuries. Two years are down 21 basis points lower this morning. And 10-year gilt yields are down four basis points, just two points down for German bunds. Meanwhile, the US dollar keeps gaining ground, another 0.6% on the DXY, up to 102.4 now. The Aussie dollar's lost half a percent, down to 71.4 US cents. That's mild compared to the euro, which is down 0.7%. Or the pound, which has lost 1.2% this morning. And the yen may have bottomed out. The US dollar is down 0.5% on the yen this morning, having climbed more than 11 percent this month and oil prices have come bouncing back wti is up 3.6 percent over 102 dollars now brent is up 3.1 percent over 105 a barrel and dutch gas futures up 17 percent this morning as well so let's catch up on these latest moves with nabs ray atrial in sydney so shares are down pretty much across every sector ray except energy of course so uh what is what is it is it fed concerns is it supply chain worries Is it the adjustment we have to have? Is it the fact that even though earnings have been fairly good, everyone's thinking, well, yes, but what are you going to do in the next quarter? Morning, Phil. It's all of the above. And um, I I do think the the R word recession on a global scale, um, much as I don't want to say that, is certainly impacting sentiment. Um, You know, so not specifically in the US where we can talk about the numbers, but but most of the numbers have actually are uh, showing certainly relative strength and an absolute strength in some in some terms. But, um, you know, I do think that there is, you know, increasing realisation that the, the war in Ukraine is not going away anytime soon. And I think similarly um, that China's, the chances of China being in a position to abandon its COVID zero policy uh, are negligible anytime mm. soon. And obviously the market is uh, awash with concerns that uh, that Beijing is on the cusp of joining um, Shanghai in large-scale lockdowns. We had those reports at the weekend of panic buying of, of everything um, that is available in the supermarkets and so not just the, the toilet paper, um, uh, but, but everything, fresh food, everything, basically. So I do think that the concerns about global slowdown that potentially spills into the US although you know I might look at the I think you were talking about um, the housing market yesterday with Taylor and certainly we've seen some more weakness there that is uh, you know one potential sort of canary in the coal mine in terms of what might be ahead for the US well, but um, well they depends on how those rates are going to go doesn't it but just on let's just finish off with the, the, the China story because it is crazy isn't it 22 cases of COVID in Beijing in one day so that's one in a million people <laughs> catching it uh, the government is now introducing mandatory testing there's these fears of a lockdown not much of a market response I mean the CSI 300 was down yesterday but um, not as much as other indices you know less than the ASX 200 for example uh, that was down 2% yesterday so I-, I wonder whether the markets are actually saying oh yeah but they're not going to do it because it seems craziness doesn't it well I think I'll take the other side of that argument and 
and the reason I say that is probably because you know some of the last things I read before I went to bed were about um, vaccine efficacy in in China mm. relative to the rest of the world, and um, you know certainly there's enough evidence that the um, you know the viral vector vaccines from uh, the two major Chinese uh, manufacturers um, are certainly less efficacious even than than AstraZeneca's, which is the equivalent um, vaccine in the Western world. Um, and although you know China has enjoyed a very high vaccination rate across the global population, there are still a large proportion of those over 80 that haven't been vaccinated. And then together with the sort of diminished, the sharply diminished um, immunity that um, the, 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 the vaccines that most Chinese people have had um, you know, are, are subject to uh, main, means that I think China is, is stuck between a rock and a hard place here that, um, you know, they persist with zero lockdowns. It's clearly causing some social tensions, but clearly a lot of economic damage. And yet were they to um, to abandon the policy, um, you know, given that, um, as I say, that the situation regarding vaccines and efficacy, uh, then the risk is that they are going to, uh, to suffer the same kind of spikes in uh, infection rates and um, serious illness and mortality that uh, has occurred elsewhere. And it's so, still um, occurring. You know, yeah, I, I, I mean, if, you know, if you look at the UK numbers, it's still 460 people a day are dying in the UK. Seven, the, the reports that 70% of the UK population has had it now, uh, but still 460 people a, a day, which is way more than the United States. 50% of the population's had it there. So, I mean, it's not going away in any in any great hurry. So you can understand why they've got this con- why they've got this concern. But it, it does mean that we are, we're, we're stuck with it. We, you know, everywhere we're going to, it seems like we're going to be impacted by it either from supply chain disruption or days off sick. I mean, whichever way, you can't dismiss COVID as something that we we were worried about last year that we don't have to worry about this year. No, that's right. And on top of that, I was also just reading on the BBC an interview with the the head of the World Bank, who uh, is warning of the the biggest sort of energy and food price shock to afflict the global Mm -hmm. economy since the 1973 uh, oil embargo, effectively. So, you know, and that is uh, obviously most directly linked to to, to Ukraine, where, again, um, everything I'm reading doesn't give any cause for optimism um, yeah. that, that, that you know, Vladimir Putin is in here for you know as much of a land grab as he can uh, as he can achieve over however long it takes. So um, you know, in that sense, uh, these supply shortages are not going to to go away. And um, obviously, we've seen a big spike in oil and gas prices overnight, yeah. linked directly to um, Russia's decision to cut um, gas supplies from from Poland. And literally, just as we were uh, coming on air know. here, yeah. we've got Bulgaria um, uh, yeah. announcing that or Russia announcing that Bulgaria um, will also um, see a cessation of its supplies from Gazprom from April the 27th. So that is going to add further to uh, concerns about elevated energy prices. The argument being that they're not paying in rubles. Is that if they paid in rubles... That's right. Yeah. That's right. So um, so obviously, a, you know, a big test ahead in whether the, the major European nations, Germany in particular, you know, are willing to accommodate that, uh, that demand from Russia in terms of mm. the new contracts that I think uh, kick in from May but um, you know obviously um, you know, the assumption is that they will find a, you know even if payment in rubles is deemed to be in violation of sanctions that there will be a workaround unless or until um, you know Germany and other major European nations decide that they are willing to uh, to hurt themselves via um, embargoing imports of Russian oil and gas 
um, in order to inflict much greater economic harm on Russia. But the flavour coming from Europe doesn't seem to be that they are, does it? But we had uh, Antonio Guterres, the uh, UN Secretary General, uh, sitting at the other end of that very long table for Mr Putin, uh, and then he's going to go on to Ukraine. I'm not sure we're going to get much out of that. Anthony Blinken, uh, who uh, the Secretary of State in the US, who's been there, of course, at the weekend, uh, was in front of their Foreign Relations Committee in the US overnight, saying there's no sign Putin is serious about meaningful negotiations. As you're saying, they just want to push on and uh, gain as much territory and we had Sergio Lavrov saying on Russian state TV overnight that the West arming Ukraine amounts to a proxy war against Russia. There's nothing here that's showing any positive outcomes. We, we get a whole load of uh, Russian data out overnight tonight. I wonder, is, is that going to tell us whether we're having any impact? We get GDP numbers, unemployment, business confidence, corporate profits, wage growth, industrial production. Are, are any of those numbers reliable? Is that going to give us a, an, an indication of whether sanctions are working or not? Um, well, well, potentially so. And I guess that, you know, we're also going to get the trade numbers, aren't we? And I think that, you know, the message there is that, um, you know, because the flow of oil and gas, which is obviously Russia's primary export, you know, has by and large continued, albeit at discounted prices relative to, to pre-war levels, um, you know, that Russia is, is, is still effectively, it, it can't import very much, but it's still exporting oil and gas. So its trade numbers are still going to show, you know, to, to be in, uh, you know, relatively rude health. So uh, which just highlights that point that, um, you know, in order to inflict, you know, the sort of economic damage on Russia that might prompt something of a rethink um, it's inconceivable while you know the flow of russian oil and gas as it continues as a, has has been the case in recent weeks and months so uh, all of this obviously has its inflation impacts uh, and that means uh, you know that's why we're seeing uh, the fed and other central banks uh, pushing higher or threatening to push higher fed speakers of course are in a blackout period now ahead of the fomc meeting uh, there was uh, we've heard that Lael Brainard has, has been voted as the deputy governor of the Fed. There's a few other governors as well. I'm not sure whether that's going to influence in any way this timeline for heavy hikes being promoted by the Fed. But there was a there was a, a report by Deutsche Bank. The economist there said that for the uh, for the for the Fed to tackle the inflation levels that are expected, they're going to have to take the cash rate up to five or six percent. And to do that is going to cause a significant recession by late next year. Uh, I mean, is that possible? Is that part of the fears that we're seeing in the markets as well? Um, well, well, not in the sense that we've seen a decent rally across the whole curve. In fact, we've seen some some ball steepening of the curve with, with twos coming down more than tens, which is perhaps playing to that view that the Fed is going to be forced to, uh, you know, to stop a little bit sooner. Um, I mean, the debate that, you know, everyone is having, um, you know, is we know that the Fed is, is intent on marching the Fed funds rate to somewhere uh, close to where they think neutral is, which is in you know, the order of two and a half percent plus or minus, and that they want to get there next year. Um, but where they go from there in terms of potentially taking policy into restrictive territory, you know, is the is the biggest imponderable whether or not, you know, we're going to see a sufficient slowdown in the US, uh, either coming from that tightening or from that the uh, the fierce headwinds that are blowing from the rest of the world sufficient to uh, to see some moderation inflation is there's the, you know, 
the biggest unanswered question. And obviously, you know, some banks and then we, you know, certainly when we heard from the likes of Bill Dudley, the ex-New York Fed um, president uh, over recent weeks and months, seems convinced that the ability of the Fed to pull off a so-called soft landing is, uh, is, is pretty marginal. And uh, to some extent, you know, that, that report you cite, you know, if we're going to see, you know, real interest rate, or we're going to see Fed funds rate up at five to six percent, uh, you know, I think almost certainly that would imply that, um, you know, the Fed is, 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 is by accident or design, <laughs> is going to have to put sufficient downward pressure on the economy that it will take care of the, the demand side of the, uh, the inflation problem. But everything that we're talking about in terms of, uh, uh, of energy and the supply chain disruptions, assuming that, um, you know, the zero COVID policy is not going to end anytime soon, are simply going to be aggravating those inflation concerns. And the messaging from central banks couldn't be clearer that, um, you know, we can no longer rely on the, you know, transitory has been put to, de- put to bed weeks and months ago. And uh, we were just reacting to the fears of the second round effects in terms of inflation expectations that further elevated uh, headline inflation rates are, are, are bound to cause. And what does the government do? Because, I mean, it starts to bring in questions of equality as well if, uh, if the, the poor are getting hit harder by these uh, rising uh, inflation costs, particularly in energy. So we get Australia's inflation rate out this morning, 3.5% uh, uh, year on year last time. The expectation is going to be quite a bit more than that, but how much more? And uh, what is the number we really should be looking out for here? Is it is is it the headline rate? Is it the trimmed mean? What's the what's the real indicator? No, I think the uh, the, the single point of focus on which markets will turn will be that uh, quarterly trimmed mean measure, where the consensus mm. is for one point two percent on the quarter, which I think equates to three point seven percent year on year. Um, you know, in our discussions internally, you know, the, the question I think that is uppermost on traders' minds is um, you know the messaging out of the RBA um, seems to be that June is the favoured date for rates liftoff um, here in Australia. Uh, but you know, how much of an upside surprise on CPI could prompt them to uh, to do something in May? And bearing in mind that market pricing is, it's got about a 50% chance that the uh, that the RBA would move by 15 basis points to 25 basis points uh, at the May meeting. And they've got about 40 basis points of tightening priced in, um, or sorry, a rate of 40 basis points for the June meeting effectively. So, um, you know, our sense is if we had a trimmed mean print, uh, and we've said this in our uh, CPI previews of, of closer to one and a half percent, that might be sufficient to uh, to prompt a bit of a shift in um, what was the previous kind of thinking about not doing anything until after we get the national accounts and the wages data in late May um, or you know in front of the uh, the June meetings. Um, but as I say, if we got something as high as one and a half percent, then the risk is that um, you know that that pricing for May will shift much closer to um, you know to sort of a fifteen basis point move, and the, the assumption is still that um, the first move will be up to 25, even if it's going to be very quickly followed by um, a move up to 50 basis points at the subsequent meeting. And house prices, we're expecting they're going to take a 10% hit by the end of next year. That's what NAB is forecasting uh, now. Obviously, Mm -hmm. that depends on those interest rates. But um, it could be worse if those interest rates go higher, I guess. Yes, well, certainly. But uh, let's put the, you know, the, the, our forecast 10% fall in the context of the sort of 25% nationwide rise that we've had yes. during the pan- pandemic. So it really is just a, a very partial retracement of, of a rise that was very much led by uh, or justified by the extent to which mortgage rates fell. So, you know, with mortgage rates sort of moving back, um, you know, not quickly back to pre-pandemic mm-hmm. levels, then, um, you know, by definition, it should be 
having a, something of a reversal impact. Well, the prices. stock market didn't get any better in the US, by the way, after close. Uh, Alphabet came in a little, little under expectations. Microsoft beat expectations in their top line results, but their stock still fell. And Texas Instruments came out with much lower sales predictions for the second quarter. They're saying that's due to suppressed demand from China. Speaking of which, uh, China's industrial profits for March out later on. Also, the consumer confidence read for France and Germany. We get pending home sales for the United States. Christine Lagarde is going to talk from uh, the ECB as well overnight. Uh, but obviously, it's the Aussie CPI that's going to be the, the main focus today, isn't it? Good to talk, Ray. We'll catch you next time. Well done. Thanks, Phil. And that's it. That's the morning call for this Wednesday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again tomorrow morning. Thanks for listening.